Good morning, friends. Um, for those who don't know me, my name is Annalise Thomas. I am the Director of Youth Ministry and Outreach here at Knox. Um, and this is actually my last sermon that I'll be preaching with you this morning. Um, and as I was thinking about what is it, what is it that you say? Um, and thinking about for myself, feeling this sense of call um, and having to step out in faith, and then also for our church, what it means to step out in faith into this next season, into a lot of unknown. And so, of course, as I was praying about it and thinking about it, I was led to this passage, one of the great passages on faith, Hebrews 11, verse 29 to 12, verse 2. So let's pray with me before we read God's word. Heavenly Father, you know that we enter into seasons of unknown and requires great leaps of faith. We thank you for this letter to the Hebrews for your words in scripture that teach us what it is to enter these seasons of faith, to turn to our ancestors that have gone before and to look to you in these seasons. God, would you open our ears to hear your words this morning and may they be pleasing to you. In Jesus Christ we pray, amen. So from the book of Hebrews 11, verse 29 to 12, verse 2. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land. But when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace. And what more should I say? For time would fail to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Yet all these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better, so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if there's anything you should know about our family, it is that we are avid Olympics watchers, including baby Levi, as you will see in this picture. Turns out he loves the Olympics just as much as his parents. During the Olympics, you would often find all three of us on the couch with faces much like his, totally captivated. 
Now, in normal circumstances, I do not, by any stretch of the imagination, consider myself to be a sports fanatic. But when the Olympics began, I could not get enough of every sport they had to offer, except golf. I don't do golf. Sorry, Doug. What I love about the Olympics is not so much the sports themselves, but the stories. I love these stories of athletes who have overcome mental, physical, emotional hurdles to make it to the Olympics. I love these stories of the underdogs. Australians love a good underdog story. These people who have no chance of making it to the final, then they do, and then they win a medal. It's incredible. Well, one such underdog was American runner Molly Seidel. Molly qualified to run the marathon at the Olympics. Her goal was to make it into the top 10, because after all, her best time was still five minutes behind several of the other marathoners. Not to mention, this was only the third marathon she had ever run. With about four miles left of the race, Molly didn't know whether she was in fourth or third place. It was getting really, really tough, she recalled. So she started to mouth to herself a prayer of St. Jude, the patron saint of desperate causes, hoping and praying that she'd be able to keep pushing through the finish and come away with a medal. And push through she did. Molly Seidel won a bronze medal in the third marathon of her career and the first American to medal in a marathon since 2004. Now let me tell you, running a marathon is no easy feat. I only did it once and we'll never do it again. Beyond the fact that you're trying to run 26.2 miles and keep up with a remarkable place the entire way, if you're good at it, not like me, somewhere along the race, many mar marathoners often hit what they call hitting the wall. During a marathon, you see runners deplete their store of glycogen, which leads to feelings of fatigue. See, glycogen is the carbohydrate that is stored in our muscles and liver for energy. It's the easiest and most readily available fuel source to burn when we exercise. So when we run low on glycogen, even our brain wants to shut down everything to preserve our body. And this leads to physical fatigue and often is accompanied by severe negative thinking. And it's at this point in the race where many marathoners struggle to find the mental will and physical strength to continue on. It's here that marathoners frequently have to rely on their mind over matter to finish the race. Now look, we may not know what is, well many of us, Isaiah and Tommy are a different story, what it's actually like to run a marathon, but I think we can all relate to the feeling of hitting the wall. When we were first told that lockdown would be two weeks, lol, we thought that dealing with COVID-19 would be a 100 meter sprint. We weren't happy about the circumstances, but many of us leapt off that starting line with remarkable speed, committed to powering through to the finish. I remember on Facebook seeing parents pass around creative schedules and activities to make it through school days. Oh, that seems comical now. <laughs> At church, we enthusiastically pivoted to online worship, youth ministry, and children's ministry, coming up with inventive ways to meet together and connect. Neighbors and strangers jumped into action to care for one another by delivering groceries, providing food, and giving lifts. There were all kinds of inventive birthday parties, weddings, funerals, anniversaries, and family gatherings. But then COVID started to drag on longer and longer, the finish line moving further 
and further away. Suddenly, it was like our glycogen levels were depleting. We were trying to maintain our sprint when this race became a marathon. And now, here we are, physically and mentally tired. Tired of wondering if it's safe to go out. Tired of missing out on time with loved ones and friends. Tired of Zoom, Slack, and emails. Desperate for connection, but also wanting to feel safe. Tired of trying to do school from home and keep the kids busy while also keeping them safe. Tired of discouraging medical diagnoses. Tired of loneliness. Tired of not being able to safely meet and worship together in the ways we once had. Tired of change. We are in good company. In today's passage, the Hebrews were growing weary and losing heart. They too were hitting their wall. They had suffered hardship and persecution. Some had given up meeting together. Some others may have even renounced their faith. And it's to these people struggling to endure, to finish the race that the author of Hebrew writes, or better yet, preaches, friends, keep the faith. He fills chapter 11 with story after story of what happens when the people of God live by faith rather than fear. But the problem is, as so often happens with scripture, when we read through these examples of faith, we tend to read them like we're reading some genealogical list from the book of Numbers. Yeah, yeah, so-and-so had faith. Cool, 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 cool. But friends, these are awe-inspiring stories of what happens when we keep the faith. When our eyes are fixed on Jesus and we run. So I want us to listen to these stories the way the author intended, as real stories. Stories that motivate us to run when we have nothing left. So starting in verse 29. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land. Did you get that? The Israelites were being chased down by the Egyptians. They hit their wall, a sea. There was no going back and no going forward. Moses said to the people in Exodus 14, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. So Moses lifted up his staff in faith, stretched it out over the sea. The sea parted and turned to dry land. Not muddy land filled with water that they had to wade through completely dry land. Can you imagine what it would have felt like to take those first steps onto dry land with the walls of the sea on either side of you? The faith they needed to muster to take those first steps and trust that the sea would not come crashing in on them. They stepped forward in faith and God made a way. Or the author of Hebrews goes on, do you remember that it was by faith when the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. Jericho, you may remember, wasn't just any city. It was the first city in the land of Canaan, that is, the promised land that the Israelites had been waiting for. But when they got there, they hit a wall, literally. But God had a plan. It certainly was not a plan that you would immediately think, yep, that seems logical. Seven priests carrying seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord had to walk around the wall blowing trumpets continually for six days 
And then on the seventh day, do it all again, but seven times. I wonder if they felt a bit silly while doing it. I am sure it was their faith that led them to at least try it. I mean, why not? But surely they wondered by the third or fourth time around the wall, is this really going to work? How is this going to work? But they kept the faith and they marched on. And on the seventh day, that wall came tumbling down. When they stepped forward and persevered in faith, God made a way. Ah, continues the author, do you recall that it was by faith that Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace? Rahab hit a wall. She was a prostitute and a part of the enemy that occupied the promised land. And yet, Rahab betrayed her king and her people, stepped out in faith, and so God made a way. God protected her and her family. But that's not it. There isn't even time, remarks the author, to talk about the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. That's a serious list. Quenched a raging fire. We know in Southern California just how hard it is to contain a fire, let alone quench one. We are talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who through faith stepped out of fire unscathed from the flames. We're talking about Daniel getting thrown into a den of lions and the mouth of those lions being shut so he left the den unscathed. We're talking about Gideon and the 300 soldiers who took down an entire army with the sound of their trumpets and shouts. We're talking about Moses, whose weakness was glaring. He was slow of speech and tongue, who through faith commanded Pharaoh in strength to let God's people go. We're talking about Jeremiah, whose weakness was undoubtedly his age. He didn't know how to speak. He was too young. And yet it was through faith that God appointed Jeremiah over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Wall after wall was knocked down. The power of God was revealed. All they had to do was keep the faith. I love the way the Message Bible translates Hebrews 11 verse 1 in describing faith. It says, this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. Faith is how we cope when we hit the wall. Faith is how we finish the race. It's what keeps us going when our legs are failing and our mind is weary. But don't worry, I haven't skipped over the hard part. The author of Hebrews does not shy away from the fact that faith takes courage and is nowhere near rainbows and butterflies. He says, others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection, he writes. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And yet, by the power of faith, they endured persecution. 
Their faith was their handle on what they could not see. It was their firm foundation under everything they experienced that made their life worth living and allowed them to persevere against the odds. Friends, there's no denying that this is hard. It's hard to be a year and a half in a, into a pandemic with not a clear end in sight when we get a glimmer of hope and it feels like we move backwards again. It's hard to lose two staff members. It's hard to face career and job changes. It's hard to keep going when we don't know what's ahead. In a commentary on this passage, Brian Whitfield writes, so we learn that faith endures. Faith trusts God's promises even when the present calls those promises into question. In the face of suffering, faith holds on and holds out because of the certainty of a future in which God has something better in store. Friends, our present may seemingly call God's promises into question, but trust those promises. We may be hitting our wall, but I implore you to keep the faith. Persevere because of our certainty that there is a future in which God has something better in store. Hebrews 12 verse 2 puts it this way. Fix your eyes upon Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus ran the marathon before us, He has already plowed through the walls that we face and is at the finish line calling us home. He won the victory on our behalf. And so, when we look to him, we find the will to endure, the will to keep running when our glycogen levels are depleted and our mind is telling us to quit, when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfect of our faith. We remember the stories of our ancestors and we see them on the sidelines cheering us on. We remember the walls they faced and the walls that, through faith, God destroyed. The Message Bible translates 12 verse 1 to 2 this way. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blaze the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever, And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item. That long litany of hostility he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Do not lose sight of where you're headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. 
allow the stories of our ancestors' faith and the power of God to shoot adrenaline into your souls. Keep the faith and run. In, our, in a moment for our offertory song, Elise will sing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus for us. As she sings, I want you to take the time to reflect on the words of the song and let them minister to, minister to you this morning. And the words say this, O oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.